0: Good afternoon. It's Sunday, January 10th, not January 20th. Sorry about that last time of 2021, day nine in the Bible reading plan from Focus on the Family and Adventures in Odyssey. And today we finally read the chapter that I've wanted I've been wanting to read for a very long time, Romans 9. I wasn't expecting it to come up in the reading plan, but now that it's here, I am so glad that I'm able to talk about it and that I'm able to read God's truth that he has presented through the Apostle Paul. Today's passages are Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72, and Romans chapters 8 and 9. I had one note for the psalm. Uh, This will be verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. Just like I've been saying repeatedly in Hebrews that hardship is discipline, and discipline produces fruits, although it is unpleasant at the time. So, therefore, in this verse, it also says that it's good The afflictions come because through that affliction, we can learn God's decrees and learn what he has to say for us. Now, jumping right into Romans, Romans is my favorite book of the Bible just because it's so packed with theology and there's so much truth in here. Every time I read it, I walk away inspired because, again, God's word is always true and what is presented in God's word will always be true and always be useful for instruction. One of my favorite verses for a long time was Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a great verse to start this reading with. That while the Psalms have been saying that who medit he who meditates on the law and who keeps the law of the Lord um, is blessed, and some of us do not do, and all of us have missed the mark and have sinned and have not kept the law at times. This verse says that no one is condemned who is saved by Christ Jesus. Verse 4 mentions the righteous requirements of the law. It says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And that was through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because the law requires us to be fully righteous and holy, and we can't do that, that's why Jesus was sent to solve that problem. Verse 5 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Again, it's a heart issue. And if we believe, then we will be transformed by Christ living in us and by his Spirit indwelling us and guiding our actions. And those who don't have Christ can still do good moral works, but they will not be for the right reason. They will have to work against their sinful nature to do those actions. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ is in us. It's hard to think about how exactly that works. I think a good parallel is Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost and with the Spirit of God descending on the first church. And if Christ is in us, then we will still, we may still stumble according to our sinful nature, that is the human condition, but we are redeemed through Christ, and we want to do good, and we want to follow him. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. This obligation is to the Spirit, and to what Christ has asked for us to do, and to continually worship him. And our obligation is so encouraging to know that we aren't held by the flesh anymore and that when we sin and when we make mistakes, we don't have to think, I am I'm broken, I am totally depraved in, my, in myself, even though I'm saved by Christ, I can still no, do no good. No, because we've been redeemed by Christ, therefore, we are no longer held by our depraved sin nature. We were, but we no longer are. are. That is my hope. And verse 24, mentioned something that I thought was interesting. It says, For in in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? And this section is talking about how creation is hoping for the future glory of Christ's revelation and for the revelation of his sons. And this, this was interesting, in that um, sometimes with faith and sometimes with what God tells us, people who see miracles and people who see the works that Christ has done and that God has done Don't always believe. Atheists are a good example of, and agnostics of people who have studied the um, history and studied the Bible, and yet still do not believe. When they're confronted with the evidence and with the proof, they can still reject God. It is a matter of the heart, and that's why when I'm witnessing to people and when when I'm talking to people, I don't. I've done this before, and it's it's not it's not great to go straight for the throat of. You've seen the evidence now. Why don't you believe? If someone is confronted with the evidence of Christ and the evidence of Christianity and the fact that he needs to repent and be saved, that is something that is going to take a long time to consider and a long time to mull over in his heart and eventually come to the conclusion that, yes, Jesus is Lord. Because if a person were confronted with the evidence and repented and believed right away, how quickly do you think that person might fall away because he hasn't critically thought about what the faith actually is. And so God works in everyone's lives to try to bring them to him. He is actively seeking out every person, and some have rejected him, and God's God's gift of grace is still open. But for those who reject God, they have a much harder time coming to him than those who are constantly working through the process of understanding who God is. Verse 26 really stood out to me. I want to read 26 and 27 here. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Verse 26 really resonated with me because I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what I don't know is a phrase that I like to say. And this is exactly what the verse says. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But if we pray and if we rely on God, then he will show himself to us and reveal to us what we ought to pray for. And he will answer us. I was talking with Austin Peachy last night about some episodes of Pause and Tales, and one of which was about this sort of prayer, where God will always answer. And I said God always answers us immediately, and then eventually shows us how he answered. That doesn't mean his answer was yes. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, which is a, a good colloquialism to use. But God always hears us, and always answers us. That is the hope that I always have. So the next section kind of leads into Romans 9, which I was talking to one of my friends who is a Calvinist about whether predestination and God's choosing of the elect is at play here. And I don't profess to be smarter than the people who worked on this doctrine and maybe John Calvin himself and um, those who have studied the Bible for a lot longer than I have. But I believe what I believe, and this is going to be what I believe right here. So take with it, uh, take it how you will, take it with a grain of salt, whatever the phrase is. But I like to think of predestination in terms of time travel. Let me talk about this here. So, verse 29 of chapter 8 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And a lot of people say, well, this means that God chooses who will and will not become Christians. God has chosen at the beginning of time, and that will not change. Well, thinking about time travel and paradoxes, if you were to travel forward into the future to see who would become a Christian and then travel back in time and then tell that that person, hey, you're going to become a Christian, is that person bound by the future that you saw because you then told him that he was going to become a Christian? Maybe that person would then reject Christ because of your, uh, I don't know, because of you butting into his his, uh, spiritual journey and that person may not choose Christ. And... Again, regardless of when you think uh, salvation actually occurs, I think we can agree that it is an act of free will, or it should be an act of free will. That is the entire message of Scripture, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And John 3.16, that for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the message of Scripture, that it is a free gift that we have can choose. That is the only thing in our power to do. We can't do anything to get that salvation except repent and believe. Those are the two things we must do. And then there are some other things like be baptized that we are called to do, but aren't necessary for salvation. So if God is eternal, he exists outside of time and he can see all times. Right now in this moment, God can see me talking right here and he can also see you listening to this podcast right now, and he can also see the future when you are going to die. God is in all places at all times, and if God was at the beginning of time when he created the world, at that moment as well, he was also creating eternity and creating the end times and and setting up what the end times would be. That's his revelation in the book of Revelations to, to John. Where he showed John, this is what I have set up for the future. Now, write this down and tell this to the churches so you can prepare. That is how I believe God's eternity works. And so, for God to foreknow something, he knows everything. So, naturally, he foreknows everything. And if we are going to say that, well, if God knows this, that means I didn't actually have free will, no, that's not the way it works. Again because God can travel through time as he wills, and because our time is linear, but his time is whatever he wants it to be, because of that, we can still make choices. And God already knows what choices we will make. But if we were to make another choice, say if I were to say, if I were to choose what what I wanted to do today, let's just say if I wanted to go outside and, um, I don't know, Let's say play tennis, for example. If I wanted to go do that, or if I wanted to go to town, or if I wanted to just stay in my house, or if I wanted to do audio editing, or if I wanted to do something else, let's say I wanted to go outside today. God would know that I would go outside. But let's say that I then change my mind and say, okay, well, I don't want to do that. I actually want to do something else. God knows that as well. It seems like a paradox to us, but it's not. Because if we think in terms of circular reasoning, where I accept Christ, therefore God sets up eternity so that I will accept Christ, and therefore i accepted christ because god has set it up that seems like a circle to us but come out of that circle that two dimensional circle and you see a three and you see a three dimensional plane that that circle sits in god is anywhere within that or a three dimensional space that god is in that is how god views our time and if we change and we decide to do something else with our lives god simply moves from one circle to the next because he can do that and because he didn't set up the circle, he created us, but he also created us with free will, that if we choose him, we will have eternal life. If this isn't solid, tell me it's not solid and point me to scripture that says otherwise. But this is what I seem to seem to understand from scripture. Um, I don't want to have a debate on Calvinism or not or, or whatever, because I'm really not skilled in it. But um, let me know if I'm on point, if I'm not, um, if you have thoughts, and I would I would appreciate to know that. Then we get into Romans 9, often used to say, well, God has called certain people to be elect and be saved and other people to be not. And here's why that's not entirely, entirely accurate. It is, but don't misconstrue that. Here's here's what it is. Verse 4 mentions the people of Israel, that theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises and in that verse and in this section Paul is describing his anguish for the nation of Israel that they have they are not saved that they were the chosen people of God and this is something I struggle with too if they're God's chosen people why aren't they saved because they have they cannot believe in Christ they don't believe in Christ they can but they don't because they reject the new testament actually I listened to a lot of Ben Shapiro and I think about since he is, um, he's a Jew and he practices Judaism and he knows about Christianity, but I I wonder, um, he's so, he's so knowledgeable about God and about the the things of the Bible and politics, which is why I listen to him, but yet he, he doesn't believe in Christ. And so it's, it's disheartening for me to, to imagine that people who are, who are Jews who don't believe in Christ won't inherit eternal life and that their ways of doing things are, are inaccurate, that they, they don't work anymore. And verse six says, it is not as though God's word had failed for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? This is saying that it's not just because it's not just only the people who are descended who are God's chosen people. Some people are God's chosen people who are not direct ancestors of Israel. And not all of the direct descendants of Israel are God's chosen people. This is exactly the message of Scripture. And this is exactly what I was talking about earlier, that because we believe in Jesus Christ, we are made his sons and we are made his heirs, co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of heaven and to salvation, that we are accepted into the family of God as adopted sons and that God will reject some of his chosen people if they reject him, which is what this verse is about. Verse 14 talks about, well, what what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Because it mentions um, God's choosing of the older shall serve the younger in terms of Jacob and Esau. And that sort of set up, that set up the nation of Israel because Jacob became Israel. And some people, again, point to this to say that, well, God only chooses those who he knows or who will serve him. And those only who, those who he chooses are be, will be the ones who become his. I'm stuttering. I'm going to skip ahead. The verse that I point to next after verse 14, what then shall we say is God unjust? Not at all. The next verse is verse 32. Skipping ahead to the end of the chapter that says, uh, actually verse 31, Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith. But as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that is the difference here. Although God called Israel and set Israel apart and made it special in the Old Testament, they stumbled and they are no longer special because they have rejected God and have pursued of faith, or pursued righteousness according to works, not by faith. And that is why Jesus Christ is here to make clear once and for all that your salvation is not by works, your salvation is by faith. And through that faith will come good works that we still should practice. We should not reject the good works, but we should not rely on them for our salvation. Verse 21, furthermore, is used often to talk about or cut against free will, rather. It says, Does not the potter have the right to make of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? And previously, in verse 19, One of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? This is not... I don't believe this is referring to those of us who today will inherit eternal life. This is referring to God's choosing people throughout history and God's setting apart as special. Because although the reading by Townsend Coleman today ended with chapter chapter 9, I need to read ahead to chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 13 because they are extremely important to this conversation and to understanding what Romans 9 actually is. Because it's not left finished. And Paul talks about, starting in verse 1 of chapter 10, about the nation of Israel and about us and the direct comparison of, well, are we elect? What are? How do we determine what God's will is for us? So starting in Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your own I'm sorry. Do not say in your heart, who will descend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. And if I read this section and think, well... I can't call on the Lord because I have not been chosen to call on the Lord. I don't see anywhere in scripture that says that. In fact, I see the opposite. I don't want to read eisegesis. I don't want to do eisegesis on this pa- on this passage, which is reading uh, an interpretation in the scripture. I want to read directly out of it, exegesis, what the passage says. And this passage gives me a promise that if I call on God, repent, and believe that he is Lord, confess with my mouth that he is Lord, then I will be saved. And that is my hope, and that is what I will continually fall back on throughout my life. Going back again to the previous passage that I read yesterday, I think it was, what was it, Ephesians? I don't remember. Where it says that there will be deceivers, and there will be false teachings, but teach, preach the truth, say the truth in truth and grace. Or, what is it? Teach the, say the truth in love? Speak the truth in love, I believe it was. I need to memorize scripture. <laughs> I really do. Um, if I remember that, and if we remember that, not by our power, but by God's, that we believe his word is true and we believe that his promises are true, then these um, these questions about, um, I don't know, predestination, about different things in scripture that can lead us astray if we think too hard about them, and if if we dwell on a certain doctrine or on a certain teaching in scripture that isn't essential because we know God's promises, but if we dwell on that and that leads us to question our faith, then we're looking at it the wrong way. We need to look at scripture as cohesive, as complete, and that God's word never contradicts itself, and that the promises that God says to us will always be true, and that God will never compromise his own character, he'll never contradict himself, he will never stop loving us because we have called on him, and we love him because he first loved us. So those are my thoughts on Romans. I I love this book. I hope we get to read more of Romans. I'm not sure that we will, but thanks for listening to my my thoughts and thank you again for listening along with me. If you're reading too, too, I appreciate appreciate this. Um, To focus on the family for putting this out, this is excellent to be able to read along with the Odyssey characters and to have this daily dose of scripture. I'm so glad that I'm doing this. Have a great day and I will talk to you tomorrow.